All right, welcome everybody back to the Present Tense Podcast. Uh, join us today, we have a special guest. We have our first in-person three-man weave Finally, on the man. show. Hello. Finally. My friend Zach is here. Uh, Zach, like Andre and I, has you know pretty similar spiritual consciousness, awareness, views, and, and all that. Um, so just as another regular person. Um, Profoundly regular. <laughs> like the rest of us. <laughs> Uh, things that have helped him in his life that he enjoys, and, and so we kind of just thought we'd get a little background on on him, and same thing like Andre and I did in the first two episodes, where we kind of discussed our backstory a little bit uh, with things that related to us and how we kind of found ourselves here, little things that stuck out, um, teachings and things that we, we found that we liked that helped us, uh, kind of let Zach do the same thing, and then we'll see whatever offshoots and wild, crazy uh, directions uh, the conversation goes from there, so... Um, Zach, I'll let you, let you take it away. Okay, in, in the wild world of Buddhism. <laughs> um, I definitely want to spare people too much autobiographical nature here because I am as pedestrian and commonplace as they come. So you no, think. I am no, well, I, I, am no, I am no scholar or uh, bodhisattva, but I don't think that that's the uh, target audience or what anyone is This would be the right place for, for right, you. Right, this is the place yeah. for <laughs> right. um, But in, in, in the context of uh, mindfulness, uh, generally... Uh, it, it's, it's a practice that's been intrinsic to my life for coming up on eight years. Um, it's, it, it was a slow realization. I don't have, I wish I had a better narrativized version of this where I took psychedelics and I you right. know, realized the nature of consciousness for a glimpse <laughs> and then went about my journey. And I, I, really, I, I really didn't. Um, it was, no, Eckhart Tolle awakening yeah, moment. Yeah, it was just no. like, yeah, no, I, and I, I wish I could describe this with better poetry. I can't. Um, I, I uh, learned of mindfulness through just the osmosis of culture. Um, and just came into contact with the more literature and that developed into small practices, uh, which was, uh, you know, essentially just the beginning of everyone's, you know, wheel of the Dharma. And, uh, and that built piecemeal over time to something that became, you know, more intrinsically important to me in like philosophical terms. And, and then, uh, I think in a, in a deeper sense in, in, in spiritual terms, which is a word that I had to come to understand better. Yeah. And, uh, and now I would consider it, fundamentally speaking, the, some of the most important learned truths that uh, I've ever come across. And uh, I, I can't imagine my life without it. So yeah, it's, it's been a while. From, from there to here feels like a journey. And it's simultaneously not one, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, Do you remember what that first thing was that you found, that, that you read, that you came across, that kind of perked your interest about it? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember, um, like I said, I remember just the buzzword of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. you know, And then I remember... Um, coming into contact with quite a bit of literature, but the first piece that really got me, where I started to, I want to say, get the hooks, was uh, by Bonte G. Who's, I mean, he goes by Bonte G. The actual name is difficult for me. I will spare one here. <laughs> uh, but he wrote Mindfulness in Plain English, which was a, a bestseller. And it's very popular, uh, and it was written in what I found was like an incredibly accessible language. Mm -hmm. um, and it was about really just the basics of uh, of a personal practice, right? And, and then how to go about that and why one would. And I find, especially when recommending to other people to get into the practice, uh, I find it difficult to start, right? In right. which case, because you, you have to sort of convince somebody those are there, there, which is, mm -hmm. a, which is that move from zero to one, which is a difficult move. And it's the hardest. You, yeah, this is the hardest. And, yeah. um, and you can sort of, you can speak till you're blue in the face and you can also resort to sort of esotericism where you, I think you're using alienating language mm -hmm. and all that, uh, I think, really can become counterproductive um, where people are just turned off before they start. So I found with mindfulness in plain English, uh, it's written with such uh, incredible brevity, which is an art form in and of itself, you know, to use as limited words as possible to come out with the most concise messaging as possible. I mean, mm -hmm. I really do think sometimes that's lost as an art form. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Bonte G is an incredibly lucid writer because of that. Uh, and it just caught me. It caught me at the very beginnings yeah. of, of that practice. So I started. Uh, and yeah, and I started with, you know, and I, I don't know the general knowledge basis of people who will listen to this, but like, and I don't know how much we've already detailed, but like in generally speaking, right, like, um, you know, Vipassana is a meditative practice that is as old as meditative practice gets in the Eastern context mm -hmm. and built from Theravada Buddhism, which is once again, the oldest school of Buddhism. It's generally uh, uh, translated to the term insight, insight meditation. <clears throat> Sorry. But... Um, obviously like there's a limitation of, you know, translation, but you know, that practice is mm -hmm. like where I started and it okay. takes you a, quite a ways 
you know, and yeah. it means a lot of things to a lot of people. But anyway, it means was it to me. easy for you, like right away, mm-hmm. to get into that, or did it did it take time to practice yeah. to get like fully indebted yeah. into it? I you know I uh, <laughs> I, I definitely get envious when you when you dive into like the poly canon. You know, and some of uh, like the Dhammaputta, and, and you hear about people who heard the Buddhist teachings, and right. upon mm-hmm. the sentence, you know, so and so became enlightened. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and there's a lot of people like that. You know, you read a lot of people, like, and, so, and he heard this, and mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know how, but I assume the Buddha was a good teacher. Um, <laughs> yeah. Again, you're in the right. You're yeah. In the right, because you're certainly, right here because certainly this was not me. <laughs> uh, I did not feel that way. Yeah. Um, and I can say, like, with the beginning of practice, for me. Uh, especially with Vipassana, it started off with a lot of breath work. Okay. And, and and that's, you know, that's the basis for all sorts of meditation, right? Like from metta to, you know, TM where you get some kind of mantra. Um, and it, it's, you know, the breath is just a tool that you have um, mm-hmm. that is just constantly with you. Therefore, if you brought back to it, you brought to the present. Mm-hmm. But I think that I really did for, I want to say, more than a year, yeah. you know, maybe years uh, I really focused on the breath as something a little with too much importance, and I found I, you know, you get better because like when you first start meditating, obviously like you you pay attention. I don't know. I'd have to ask you about your practices, but for me, you pay attention to what is, and that's the breath, and sure. you know mm-hmm. where it happens. It's the easiest anchor. The rising mm-hmm. and falling of your abdomen, where you find it, and um, and then it came to me. It became a bit of a game where I would find moments of what I felt were like in of sort of blissful concentration where I was really with it. And then I, right. I, I'd glimpsed at some states, but then I really felt like in a, a sense I was fetishizing the breath itself. Hmm. And that like, I almost equated mindfulness to just how many breaths I could count without like losing okay. track. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'd get proud of myself for some number, <laughs> right? which is always, I, I think you're, you're veering down a different path than was intended. Right. So there was definitely um, a learning curve in trying to figure out, what exactly I was aiming for mm-hmm. and even like what the nature of aiming means mm-hmm. in a um, Dharma practice. So it definitely didn't come easy. Although it was like, I enjoyed the ride, you know what I mean? But it, mm-hmm. it came with um, quite a bit of humility and try and, and really failing to understand what it was I was doing, even though I was there, which is fine. You know what I mean? But it definitely, yeah, it didn't come easy. I don't know. Yeah. I get stuck on that too. Cause sometimes like we always use the breath as an anchor Sure. For everything, and then it becomes I'm anticipating the breath. I'm trying to create the breath as opposed to just the noticing sure. of mm-hmm. the breath. You know, I think there's a different kind of way to do that. And I notice even when I'm meditating, sometimes I'll catch myself as I'm I'm waiting for the breath. Yeah, I'm yeah, anticipating. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, creating yeah. it mm-hmm. yeah. instead of just noticing it. And yeah. and then, like you said, being able to notice all things. But that doesn't work. Yeah, to, yeah, you, get, yeah. you know, for like normal life, like no. it, it, it doesn't help just. To notice and to be still and to be present yeah. if I'm anticipating and I'm creating something. So it's kind of a little counterproductive. Right. <laughs> and I'm happy to hear you guys say that because I, for a long time, thought, even still, thought that I was the only one that did this where I just start focusing so much on the breath yeah. itself. And, right. you know, I think that's the moment and that's why it's called a practice, a meditative right. practice, because you're consistently and constantly trying to regain that focus that's you losing the focus the overall focus until you snap out of it right and you catch it what you were meaning what the intent was alan watts had one of my favorite bits about this when he talked about the anticipation of the next breath and he said Mm -hmm. what what is your hopes that the next one will be better than this one (laughs) Um, But I'll do that too. I'd be like, ooh, that was a good deep one right there. Yeah, that was that was great. That was a good breath. This breath wasn't as good as that last one. Yeah, no, yeah. The whole breath, I think that like a part of if I had to go back and you know tell myself something, you know, eight years ago, it would be that the breath is not magical. Right. Um Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 that really opened it up to yeah, to what I find much more is like uh, my current practice and uh, understanding, which is, you know, um, more than a practice. And I think that at some point when I was just in my very beginnings of Vipassana, it felt much more like a, a small tool. Like Vipassana itself was a small tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously now it feels more, well, it is more to me, right? Uh, a small practice that you use for the, the entirety of your conscious experience, right? In, mm-hmm. the, in the 30 minutes that we sit or 20 or hour that we sit is, is meant to be exported to the 23 hours that we don't. Right. And this is simply a practice 
that we bring into a very real lived experience. And if we like make some kind of hard demarcation between practice and a magical breath and then the right. rest of our day, that we're really we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. Right. Like we're missing mm-hmm. something very important. Um, so yeah, and then and then the nature of Vipassana for me had to it had to be a developing understanding for me because yeah, at first it was how long can I go without losing concentration? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> which then you get frustrated over and the whole thing and sure. you have like what you call good and bad days and all mm-hmm. of this seems counterintuitive and there really aren't I mean there really shouldn't be such thing as a good and bad meditative session because any meditative session is a it is it is you know it's an inquiry into your conscious experience and your mm-hmm. conscious experience is what it is yeah so even, even that judgment of whether you're doing a good job or bad job is just another thought it's just the thoughts arising yeah. right yeah. and and so in, in every form of you like even in even negative thoughts and you know whatever valence that you have is something that can be noticed as an arisal of consciousness. So those understandings, I think, lead to the deeper insights of meditation, which are important and obviously sort of the, you know, they're laid out. This isn't new ground, you know, this is 2,500 years old. Mm-hmm. But like what you're getting to is you're getting to find that the, the underlying nature of reality itself is shapeless. And that this isn't about breath. Breath is, you know, just one thing in the, you know, present moment that you can lean on to. But you find that everything about the present is not unlike the breath, which is it's just arising. And that goes for thoughts and it goes for, you know, every, like I said, every every flavor of emotion and sensory um, experience in the world. But it also gets into deeper insights about, and this is, I think, where, you know, years took me, but the nature mm-hmm. of self and I think it's when I started to get into the, the dissolution and nature of self, at least an understanding of it, not to say that I am sitting here devoid <laughs> of a sense of self, which I am, I, I, am, I am heavily anchored into. But at least the notion that this is something um, that uh, this is this is something that is that is an insight that is important to take with you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just became apparent, and I don't, I don't know what you're. I would have to ask you all what like, sort of the nature of like. I just don't want to ramble too much here, but just really what the nature of of meditative practice is for you, like what what, what we're uh, and, and headed to always makes it sound like things are goal oriented, and it's mm-hmm. not it's not so much that things are goal oriented. It's a weird paradox in yeah. Buddhism, where craving to crave, mm-hmm. wanting to get somewhere, mm-hmm. and when the path is the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but like where we're headed and. Um, I don't know. I guess I, what I would ask is before I dive into some weird esotericism that's unnecessary here, it's just like what you feel like the nature of the self is, if that's a fair question on a podcast like this. Yeah, for sure. No, I feel yeah. like for me, like uh, meditation is just being able to separate my thoughts from myself and, and create that differentiation. So when I do have, you know, I'm stuck in traffic and I'm running late and I'm feeling <laughs> yeah, tense and yeah, stressed yeah, and yeah. worried and, yeah. and I'm reacting that way to you know someone on the phone or right. whatever like i can have that realization i still have the reaction i still have the the feeling sure but being able to like just stop that right. for a second pause like oh i'm feeling this way i'm being right. snippy right. to my right. wife right now because right. i'm stuck in traffic and i'm stressed that i'm running late because i should have left a little bit right, 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 right. <laughs> you know yeah. she didn't do anything many other factors so i think that's the most important part for me just be able to sit there let's focus on the breath or just feeling the flow of my body or feeling me myself sitting or my position, whatever it is. Right. And then I can, the thoughts are going to come just like, you know, cars on, 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 on a freeway. Sure. But I'm able to really witness their birth. Right. right. And then when I pay, if I really, if I notice that I'm getting a little lost in thought, sure. I can pay attention to them and I just kind of watch them unravel right. as they are. So it just really helps me, again, just in day-to-day life, right. when I start f- to get worked up or tensed or feeling a certain way, being able to stop and say, oh, this is, right. I'm feeling this, but it's not sure. real. And I can separate myself right. from that feeling or that action, remove my self-judgment or you know, stop what I'm doing so I don't get too deep and don't have to apologize to somebody sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Too, mm-hmm. too much. Um, so just, just creating that, that separation between self and thought, I think, is, is the most important part for me. I think that, yeah, um, that's one of the sort of selling points that I try to use to anybody that doesn't meditate, that um, that, that the very least I can say, and it feels like it has some importance, is that meditation is the art of choice. 
mm. and um, things will arise and you're, you're going to ride the wave of thought and emotion and um, there really is uh, uh, a real perspective shift that you can uh, be really granted through enough practice to uh, have some degree of control mm-hmm. about um, whether or not you're going to ride or not ride the wave that you know comes with the automation of consciousness. Sure. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, for me, it's very similar. Um, it, I and other people I've recently talked to uh, use the word overwhelming so often now and um pretty much my thoughts are always all over the place i think i spoke about this in one of our earlier episodes that i just keep going and i tailspin and i'm here and i'm there and i'm there and i'm there and i'm giving maybe you know 20 percent to this and 30 percent to that right um and so meditative really connects the mental and the physical of yeah. my body, of myself, um, sure. to kind of just slow down, focus, refocus, yeah. and um, give my attention to what I am doing in that moment. Right. I actually catch myself in um, my sessions, my massage sessions sometimes, where, yeah. you know, clients are quiet. And so I'm in my head for a whole hour and 90 minutes, sure, and I'm just, sure. you know think about this and think about that and think about that and then especially because i'm trying to give my energy to somebody i have to take that breath right which then gets me into my train of thought to refocus and resettle myself i think it was uh james joyce i'm not sure if it was in ulysses but it was about the character mr duffy where he described him by saying that mr duffy lived a few feet from his body Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, that you can you can take that as a real state of the you know I think Joseph Goldstein once made this point that we're, that we're all just, uh, Mr. Duffy mm-hmm. in a very real sense right and mm-hmm. we, can, we can live some distance from where we feel we are and, mm-hmm. and we can live in the sort of this uh, odd paradox of never quite arriving mm-hmm. you know which obviously you know causes quite a bit of um, suffering you <laughs> know in, 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 in all the ways that I, I use suffering a lot and sometimes people question me on the work because they kind of consider suffering just a form of maybe grieving it's a very heavy emotion but i really mm-hmm. consider when i'm using suffering i, I consider just um sort of all negative connotation that comes with you know lived existence and also just the pain uh that's associated with you know a, the wheel of attachment craving sure. which is you know we're back at buddhist roots here right? mm-hmm. so just you know four truths um that we don't need to talk about in sanskrit but you know <laughs> suffering, sorry suffering of our own grief right yeah yeah <laughs> well, you know just like the dukkha right like just the, the non-permanence of things and um and uh really the acceptance of, of your reality that way which has to happen not just from an intellectual understanding which is this is another big hump from the zero to one with why mm-hmm. you should meditate to me when i try mm-hmm. to tell people i'm not great at proselytizing i think i try to convince in my life three people to meditate mm-hmm. not good i, I would yeah. not make it as a preacher um i mean it's not an easy thing to do they not. think you're you know yeah out of it, your mind you know well yeah because I, it's yeah, not their practice yeah you don't want something they've ever done yeah and that's the that's the thing that's tough about that is that like it's you know you, i don't want to get lost and like especially when i try to sell people on this like some esoteric weeds about you know multi-armed gods right or like mm-hmm. the, you know ever evolving wheel of karma right, mm-hmm. right? but just just Look the fact that yeah, yeah. And, but the fact that like no matter what you have is an underlying belief that like meditation in the form of like for me like a simple vipassana is it's it's grounded in an empiricism which is that it, it, this is something that you can witness for yourself and it does not require um any like belief on you know limited evidence right mm-hmm. so this is a first person science which is you know, I'm, I'm very loosely using this term, but it's important, right? Is this, these are truths that are witnessable just by like the nature of your own consciousness and attention. And no matter what you believe, right? Um, like, you know, whether Muhammad rode, you know, to the heavens on a winged horse, right? Or mm-hmm. Christ was risen after whatever day near a, a, a rabbit with eggs. Um, <laughs> the, the, the point being is that you can take meditative insights and a practice and you can still use it as a, an intrinsic part of your life that you can bring to everything else like it does not has meditation need not be uh, a substitute for anything right Mm -hmm. but it really in 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 a very real sense is almost its own branch of intelligence i don't mean this in a a sanctimonious sense what i mean is that this can be added on to anything that you do and 
that's the part where I like I relate to like this is the selling part to me is that like you are not you're not losing anything in this practice, mm-hmm. right? This is in addition to and yeah. no matter what it is that you believe or think you believe or want to be, you can use meditative tools and a meditative insight, right, to better understand yourself and others, which is where I think like meditation, ultimately, and, and just these practices bring you, which is like an actual like a commitment, and like your lived existence, to um, be the best version of yourself. Um, one for your own suffering, but like I think in a very real sense, and you know, I, I think everybody understands this because they're human, right? But it's just to be the best person that you have on offer to everybody that you want to be on offer to. And I think at first that becomes the people who you love, because we all have sure. people we mm-hmm. love and want to be good to them. But then that's that's further exported, and I think the longer you 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 sit with these practices, it it, it comes to be that you find the differences between you and the person that you love, or a random stranger on the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, they became they, they narrow, right? Because you understand that this this fundamental condition, right? This like first person subjectivity, where like you are simply like your consciousness and its contents, is it's it's universally applicable. This is everyone's state and everyone's ailments, whether it be greed, lust, jealousy, fear. You know, whether you're an NBA an athlete or a billionaire or homeless, like it, it all comes from like these very similar conditions, and and that can. I think lead to a way of existing in a, in a form of harmony that brings equanimity to yourself and the world. Oh, that's beautiful, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, and, and I don't want it to come off as, as so grandiose, right? Because like what you do on the ways you fail inevitably in all the great ways that we all fail, you know? Um, but it is something that I, uh, I yeah, it, it just, it's, uh, I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> well, I, I, I actually have a question because, um, I'm interested. When was a moment that these practices, mm-hmm. when you got this down and right. you figured out this is what works for you, right? What was a a time and event where you had to actually apply that in life? Sure. Yeah. 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 So I think that like one way to answer that is that like I I I think that like the longer that you sit yourself in these practices, the more that you try to like, especially in transitory times of your day, you try to permeate your existence with a real form of mindfulness and you try to bring that to people mm-hmm. and as far as like a sort of a more peak event when mindfulness is something that like i like well this is what this is here for you know yeah. i i found it was often moments that i realized that this had sort of changed the color to which i view the world uh were obviously during more difficult emotions right mm-hmm. And I think the easiest for me where it became clear that there was some kind of perspective shift was in jealousy because right. I don't, I'm not particularly caught up in a lot of anger just by temperament. Um, and then as far as, you know, um, greed and lust and all the other sort of normal maladies they have, but I don't, you know, um, I don't know, maybe they don't color me as hard, but I know jealousy is an interesting feeling. And I find that especially with mindfulness, you start to understand that there's a very big difference between the immediacy of feeling and the depth of a feeling. And jealousy is an immediacy, mm-hmm. right? It hits you, it hits you like a punch, right? Well, hard to leave, right, right. right. Yes. And, and I, I know, and I felt it, and I remember being swallowed in my youth. I'm 31 now, so I'm sorry for people older than me, as they say in my youth. <laughs> it was, you know, it was a while ago. And I remember being swallowed in my youth by jealousy, where it would just consume days and weeks of my time. And I would, you know, and then I would express my discontent in all ways, but actually talking about how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and but now I, I remember, I, you know, I've obviously experienced it, you know, later and deeper into practice. And there are a couple ways that you can pull it apart in, in, in I think, in a context of mindfulness. Uh, one is that, oh, what an appearance, as all things are, right? Mm-hmm. Here, one moment, right? And, yep. and if, if witnessed long enough, uh, gone the next, because you can understand the nature of impermanence. All things come to pass, and there's no, there's been no single state um, that has arisen that will not fall away. And I think that it doesn't quite end there, right? Because just because I don't think it's much condolence to say, hey, you know, you're someone died and eventually you won't feel that way you know like, mm-hmm. congratulations like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean like there's, thank there's you much now, thank yeah. you counselor mike yeah. you know um but <laughs> but i think but a, a a deeper way that i it just came to pass through me was to understand that like yes this is an appearance mm-hmm. um but then more importantly like the person who was the object of like this jealousy um yeah. i think that is the nature 
like the relationship. Oh, so, yeah, so in the, jealousy, what like what you talk about in, in relationships? Yeah, like, and stuff yeah, 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 relationship-ish yeah. things. Yeah. And I and I just remember like it was the person who had caused this in me, and I thought um, I think I normally I would probably shore myself up if you've ever been jealous of another person for whatever reason, mm-hmm. where you try to like, you try to come up with enough things to build yourself. Right. Yes. Um, to, to understand why you shouldn't feel right. such ways. Yeah. Right. And it's I just, am better than yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, and I, and if you, if you lose it at, you know, athleticism, speed and height and money, you know, you're down to personality, you're better at jokes. So like, I don't Got know, this. like, yeah. you know, I can quote down to nabby better. Like, I don't know. Like you just take whatever yeah. you can. And I thought, okay, this is a game of shoring up mm-hmm. this, uh, in, 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 in a very much as a sense of self and ego. That I, that I know from first-hand experience isn't real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I need not short this up. So, like, my, my reaction here is no longer to, or in my best moments, right? <laughs> my reaction here is to, is, is to not try to, to build these walls so no wave can overcome them, but, but understand that, the, that there is no shore for these waves to crash upon. Yeah. And, and then, uh, I think in the final bit of this, it makes this truthfully okay, is that look at this person as somebody wholly like me, Mm-hmm. Like all people are, because yeah. like once again, in my best moments, I can feel what I would consider a feeling of love for people mm-hmm. that are just people, which is mm-hmm. all people, mm-hmm. right? Subject to this universal condition, right? Mm-hmm. Who is you know succumbing to every single malady and difficulty that is like associated with life, and um, and really in this moment, love this person uh, for exactly what they are, mm-hmm. which is not unlike myself, and and then it just passes through me, yeah. you know, and there's nothing to shore up, and. It's a warm feeling, and I think, wow. I mean, it's it just, yeah. That that kind of thing is when I realize that this practice is something that is exported, and, and really, I I want to ingrain into my DNA. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah, it's absolutely it's just, powerful. That's why you mentioned because I mean, I uh, I wasn't in a whole lot of relationships when I was younger, so I'm I'm 41 now. Um, so like, say you're, you're, yeah. you're useful to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you have having, having you know, being being with my wife now. Yeah. I feel like I'm experiencing those jealousy feelings where it's yeah. like, it was never a big deal for me. I never had any of those, right? right? And so now I notice that I those will spark up They're when real. she's like talking about, oh, I, I got to go for a work lunch meeting with yeah. this person. Like yeah. all of a sudden out of nowhere, I know she is unbelievably dedicated of course, of course. and yeah. all about me, but yeah. I'll hear like a dude's name that she's going to lunch with and yeah. my... that. Sparks up like, well, who's that? Yeah, who's this guy? Who's that yeah, person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about this for one. Oh, are you texting? Yeah, you yeah, texting so and so again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But then I can also be in a totally different mind frame. Mm-hmm. Be actually around that other person right. in a group setting and be enjoying their company and be like, oh, this person's awesome. I love this person. And like you said, had yeah. that feel that love for that person, right. knowing they're not doing anything to me. My wife's not doing anything to me. I'm sure. doing that to myself, and I can just mm-hmm. appreciate that that. Other individual as just an extension of myself who, yeah, he knows my wife and he has yeah. uh, some sort of a relationship with my wife. And, yeah. and that's beautiful, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's just in whatever mind state I'm in. And then sure. two weeks later, I can hear that name again and go back to the jealousy. Right, so right, it's right. not contingent upon any part of that person. It's, it's just me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah, a dude. mental mind game and a mental mind fuck, essentially, yeah. because, I mean, I had that practice back in high school where jealousy overcame me and it actually aided to my stubbornness so they were directly connected um the more jealous i became the more stubborn i became and so oh well you want to you know talk or hang out with somebody else instead of me who you're supposed to be with like okay like I won't talk to you for a week, you know. Yeah. Terrible way to go about it, you know. I've lost about three girlfriends that way. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. And then finding meditation really started to help me with that as well. Um, that wasn't my, my why, but it definitely did help me with that because I started to look at the individual and I started mm-hmm. to understand that I know this individual. So why would I let anything, any questions, any jealousy, you know. Yeah affect that right. so yeah and i and i think that yeah it's, it's definitely the matter like you just said like maybe two weeks later you just feel the same damn thing again right. you know mm-hmm. um and, and that it's important to you know maintain the humility on the path to know that you know the, these things will always arise mm-hmm. so it, it'll never it'll never be the fact that you are free from these things right what right. you are is you are at least for me is like you are ever increasing your ability to be less captured by the reactivity of emotion right Mm -hmm. because emotion will arise right and all all you really get 
is a world. And I, and I think that so much of our suffering, and this is just once again the suffering of the human condition, is the fact that like, there's a world outside of us. And this is, I think this makes as well, or maybe actually, I don't think existentialism, Buddhism makes as well at all, but it does for me. <laughs> because, um, because the, you know, people like Heidegger and Kierkegaard, you know, like termed, coined terms like thrownness, right? Which is this notion um, that you, in, to be human is to be thrown into uh, time and place. Okay. It's not of your choosing. And then of all the, you know, eons that you could be born and you were born here and all the places that you could have been born, you're born there and you've been given this temperament and intelligence and height mm -hmm. and, you know, every, everything that you've ever been given, it was just given. And what mm -hmm. you are is this profoundly limited being in a world of unlimited possibility, which is quite terrifying. Yeah. Um, when you really get down to it, that's sort of the existentialist creed. Uh, A.E. Hausman had a great quote, I, a stranger and afraid in a world I never made. <laughs> and <laughs> and when, you, when you take that condition, there, there's a couple ways you can look at it. And I think that some people descend into a form of nihilism. Uh, mm -hmm. And you hear things like, well, you know, you're just a speck on a cosmic rock and, you know, everything. And what the hell does it matter? And you're just here for like a little bit, just some organic matter, you know, ashes to ashes. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other way to say, you know, what, what a beautiful, <clears throat> um, what a beautiful confluence of circumstance that created you in this moment, at this time, and how unique that is, right? Yeah. And how much there is there to take and how uh, sort of beautifully strong you have to be. You know, just as people to just go forth in a world so limited and limited possibility. And that's where I think the Buddhism slips back sure. in, right? And, and to, to say that here you are in a world uh, so immensely complex. And I think the most empowering thing that you can do is accept it for its complexity and see that so much of our suffering is an attempt to change the world around us and an attempt to fight this impermanence that is like intrinsic mm -hmm. to reality. And I'm sure we've met people that just wish things were other ways. And they, and they you know, we've met people that, and I'm sure we've all been this way, right? Mm -hmm. Where, where we, we, we blame others for our problems, but we really blame the state of the world, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. it's this constant tension between wanting things to be a way and them not being a way that causes so much anxiety, yeah. you know, and so much pain. And, and, I, and I think that the, the remedy to this is to understand that, like, you just don't get much of a choice in molding the world around you. What yeah. you get is you get a choice about how you react to the world around you. Mm -hmm. and this is a first-person choice, and it's, and it's everyone's to take. Uh, and, and that's the beauty. It's the beauty of these practices. Yeah, it's interesting because, as a human, we have that internal desire for certainty. Yeah. And the whole nature of life is it's all uncertain. Yeah. So, like, again, just with the help with, you know, meditation and things like that, to help to appreciate that. Exactly. Like I said, in that sense, it is a game because yeah. I want this thing sure. that does not exist. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and I think and we all, you know, part of craving is always in craving um, the, like some form of non impermanence, right? Like the sure. things that we want are just the things that are good to continue being good. And um, things that are bad did not particularly happen, and it will never happen. Mm -hmm. will, no matter how good things are going for whoever, like bad things will happen. You know, yeah. and our will succumb to age and disease, and we'll have loss. And um, yeah, and, and I, the, God, you can suffer. And I mean, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. to, to, to lament, to lament at this. Um, I remember one of my uh, another. I don't know who it was it Derek Parfit, but they were talking about sort of we were talking about like little specks and mm -hmm. the whole world, and sort of like this I think it's I really do think it's nihilism for people to say like what does it all matter you know what I mean we're just gonna right. suffer and you're a dot on a speck in a universe in a cosmos and I feel great thanks yeah, 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 no, but, no. And I, but and I, I just think I just think this is like it's two sides of the same way to look at it and I think the first side is so profoundly wrong I don't know if it was Nick Bostrom or um, I forgot the philosopher but he said yeah so like you are like on a rock that's a tiny speck in a galaxy full of billions of stars and billions of universes blah 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 and he said, and some people in light of this information have thought, wow, how meaningless is like one life. <laughs> and then his, his next line was, it is unclear how big the universe must be before we start considering that this one life is quite meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because it's yeah, actually it's this beautiful that. cosmic coincidence. Right? It is. right? It is. And, and, to, and to just sort of descend into, ah, who cares? Like, I just think this is, yeah, I think this is hilariously misguided. Because you care. Even people that claim they don't. Right. Yeah. You, you, you just sit around and... You don't feel anything. Right. You just, if you really felt this way, stop moving. Right. Some people just love to fight it, though. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't understand that. I'd like to, and I'd like to help change. I mean, that's sure. part of why we like to talk and invite people to try meditative practices and such. Because 
it can help. We've noticed it helped. And like you said, it's not an, it's an addition to, it's not, you know, taking away from any of your life, any of your daily, you know, existence. You mentioned the term suffering. So just kind of parsing out that word a little bit. Like to me, I always kind of take that as I'm going to feel, like you said, we're all going to feel pain, loss, heartache, those things. Agony, grief, yeah. But to me, suffering yep. is something that I'm adding on to that. Right. And in the moment, right. even getting to feel, yeah. like even if it's even if it's painful and it's loss and my heart hurts, there is still a beauty in getting to feel right. something mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. opposed to, to nothing. But the suffering, I think we were talking about, is just resisting mm. that something bad can happen. Res- right. Un. A inability to accept it, fighting against it so hard, blaming other people sure. for it. And that's something that we add on to ourselves. And that does take away from our joy in our life. Mm-hmm. So there's other things, other feelings, they pop up, they happen. Mm-hmm. But there's still beauty in those feelings. Yeah. But for the suffering, I feel that's where we waste a lot of time. Whereas I am choosing to sit here sure. in this this thing that happened. Right. I'm fighting against against, even though it's already happened. Mm-hmm. So I'm causing suffering for myself, mm-hmm. for others. Right. And even if we do that, mm-hmm. if we feel we need to do that and sit there in our own shit for a little bit, sure. that's okay. Sure. But let's differentiate and acknowledge right. that I am right. putting myself here. I want to be here right now for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. But I do need to accept and acknowledge that I'm doing this to myself. Yeah. yeah. And I think we, I absolutely think we need to feel, we need to feel that sufferance Um in order to move forward, because if we don't sit there and feel it and take that time, you know, it's not wasting time. It's taking time to feel a way that you need to feel so that you don't carry it with you in your future yeah. and react because there's that little bit of bad chi sitting there sure. because you didn't deal with something, a feeling that you should have mm-hmm. when it happened. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that the, the, the meditative insights um, do not lead you down a path where you're you're trying to resist any particular emotion, and, mm-hmm. and you know, suffering more generally speaking is you know an inevitability of to be human, right? Mm-hmm. Part of right. the human experience, and yeah, and like the art of choice there, like you said, like you're you're gonna feel pain and you're gonna feel grief and you're gonna feel loss, whether or not you get swallowed up by it, um, largely depends on how you can react to it, mm-hmm. you know. I actually, I struggle with this as a bit of a paradox because I think like there's a form of real purist understanding that I don't have the creed or scholastic disciplines to dive into, but like that, like, you know, that like there's a path here that leads to like a real liberation, nirvana or nirvana. I don't speak poly um <laughs> but like but but it's like the real cessation of all these things mm-hmm. you know and and there i know there are plenty of you know modern historic contemplatives that have sat in a cave for 20 years and with perfect equanimity and i believe that those people mm-hmm. that exist now sure. right that, yeah. that are that are outside of this game of really uh want and crave right and this mm-hmm. this cycle and I, and i wonder often about this because i wonder uh this is back to like the path like where i'm headed Right, because I actually don't particularly know mm-hmm. whether it's like my end state to never like to have like what I'd call like a pure liberation from this. I, like, because I really do think, it's back to the existentialism part, that suffering is an innate part of the human experience, and mm-hmm. and it feels more to me like suffering is something that yeah you can understand from a first person experience, but it's also something that you really get by by contextualizing, right? Like, what mm-hmm. is I don't, I don't want to misquote Nietzsche like a real pedant but he who has the sufficient uh why can endure anyhow right it's it's, mm-hmm. it's that we is that we have to we have to put our, our suffering in context that make us want to leave you know good and noble lives and keep it moving forward and i there's a part of me that really i don't want to say enjoys the pain mm-hmm. but like really finds it important like, like in some sense is privileged like i this is i find this about feeling things for people you know when i enjoy people in the romantic or non-romantic senses, that they have the capacity to hurt me. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it's just by, war, not usually not by words, but maybe just by their passing mm-hmm. or like losing that. Sure. And and that, and that would hurt. And I know that would hurt for, you know, select few in my life whom I care about. And I, 
And I, I feel it's a bit of a privilege, right? Like to sure. get to a point where I can feel those things. Yeah. I'm not sure that I'm like on some path where I wish that I won't be able to feel these things. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's not, if I have the right person in here, they say, no, no, it's not that you won't feel these things, right? right. But it's like your mm -hmm. identification with the thought to feel it. And I get a little get lost in these paradoxes, but this is, I think, comes back to like us as living through life, as knowing that we're not going to be in caves, mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to entirely liberate ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Which is like what to do in the face of suffering. And yeah, I think it's, it's some combination, like a cocktail of, you know, meditative understanding, but also for me, just um, sort of embracing the suffering. Yeah. Like, you know, in some senses, being thankful to have this full spectrum yeah. of emotion. I mean, you're talking to an empath here. So I completely <laughs> understand. I Matt's seen me and heard me talk about numerous times, you know, just taking it all in, my stuff True. and others. And because I feel like I've practiced, you know, this meditative art so often that I, for me, I can handle it better than others. Until I can't, right. which uh, we all saw this past winter uh, when I lost my father. So that for me was my first wake up call of, oh, I don't have this all the way down like I thought. And um, so, yeah, I, I understand what you mean of embracing, taking it on. I'm sorry I've heard that. Thank you. I, was, I was curious about, you know, like Andre mentioned you know, with losing his dad, I feel like for, for us, probably most anyone listening to this, they have the self-awareness to realize what we talked about with suffering, right? Like mm -hmm. there is there is joy in those feelings. Um, the suffering, sure. you know, is, is ultimately our choice. How do you guys go about supporting someone who is maybe not as aware of these kind of things when they're suffering? How do you provide good support for others? You want to take this one? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like to. The, I like to first approach any 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 person that I meet. You know, maybe they're not on the wheel of the Dharma, but I. I don't want to immediately ever assume that the the, the tools that they have and understandings of their own emotions, right, are in any way, inferior from mine, right? Because because I I definitely just met people who who have like a real wisdom about them and understanding, mm -hmm. right, and even acceptance of the world that have gotten through, they've gotten to these places through orthogonal practices of my own, you know, and people handle things all sorts of ways. Sure. Mm -hmm. And um, to, to talk to somebody, though, that maybe I can't, you know, recommend meditation in times of duress, right, right. Uh, would definitely depend on how it is that they normally handle things. Um, but what I can say that I, I try to be, and I try to be for uh, truthfully anybody, is... Uh, what I want from people, or at least what I value from people, and um, and that's my attention, okay. and and I really do believe that like all we have on offer is the conscious of consciousness, right? And, uh, and all you get to do is you export this to the world, and this this characterizes how you experience it. it also characterizes everybody who experiences you. Right. So when people are suffering, I I want to be a person yeah. that hears them clearly. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I feel being heard is something that I value intensely because we're complex beings. And, you know, often our language even fails at capturing what it is that we're like really trying to get at. It takes a lot to communicate. And um, for somebody in, in quite a bit of pain, um, I can I, the most I can really do is lend an ear, right? Because yeah. you can say the things about, you know, it's all things have come to pass and here it is and empathize and talk about mm -hmm. what experience have with you. And I think all those are really important. But at the baseline, what I can try to do is be as naked uh as possible in yeah. those moments um and and you don't accept them as the inevitability that they are yeah. and and come to people from a place of love and genuine understanding even if that understanding is in pure ignorance of how they're feeling right you know which is quite the paradox yeah. uh but that's the best way i can export once again like my understanding uh my beliefs right uh to the people whom i love mm -hmm. that's very awesome. very similar with me um i I don't go to meditative practice in that moment. Sure. I um, I go off of my experience, and that's just having those loved ones around me, and they're just there for me. Like Zach said, mm. whatever you need, if if just to listen, somebody to listen to. Yeah. And so, me for me, it's just 
giving them that presence, that full attention of, listen, talk to me, mm. cry to me, vent to me, yell at me, do whatever you got to do yeah. to start this healing process. I, I said before dealing, but you never want to deal with suffering. You right. want to heal from it. So um, that's basically all I try to let them know. Like, let's start the healing process. So whatever that is, mm -hmm. however you're feeling, whatever you need to say, yeah. I will listen. If you want me to give ideas, I'll give ideas. But, you know, all of our suffering is different. So I, whatever I've gone through may not be exactly like you've gone through. Mm -hmm. So whatever you need to say, yeah. I'm here, you yeah. know. And so it's very similar to you. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's the right. I mean, that's certainly what I look for. You know, I think there's sure. just, you have to take some humility that in most people's time of pain, there aren't going to be magical words, mm -hmm. right. you know, and there's just time and understanding and patience, you know, especially mm -hmm. patience. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's the toughest thing for me. Like, yeah, like being, being married now and, and being so close to my wife and always wanting to take care of her and fix problems and do things. I'm still really in the process of, of, of learning how to do, you know, what, what you guys just outlined is just, just the listening part. Cause I, right. I always feel this responsibility and this want to fix it. Cause I hate seeing her suffering. Sure. I hate seeing mm -hmm. her pain or sure. anybody that I care about. Of course. Her, sure. Especially her. Of course. And through experience, mm -hmm. noting how mm -hmm. the, my doing that right. is making it worse. Mm -hmm. you, know, <laughs> you know, you know, that's, I, I don't know if this is a distinctly male thing, but like this is born from my male experience, right? But yeah, it's like I, I have this orientation toward like solution-based mm -hmm. language, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So somebody's hurting, it's like, you know, like, what we can do, what, how can we fix this, right? right? Like, how, yeah. what can we do? Like, can we get you ice cream? Can we go, we, we got a poem, <laughs> yeah. right? Is there just something we can, and yeah, and they're, they're, uh, I'm overusing this word, but yeah, there's a bit of humility. Um, like you have to sort of swallow, right? Mm -hmm. that like there really is nothing you can do yeah. other mm -hmm. than be. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I, I think part of this lesson for me, at least summed up was the fact that inaction in uh, crucial moments is a very important action unto itself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that you have to take, you have to be able to swallow the fact that your inaction is the best move. And it's, it's not, it's not apathy. Right. Mm -hmm. But a, a calculated choice. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it's just been different for me just because uh, I feel like I've always, whenever someone has been that way, I'm usually getting them on when they're kind of doing the, the comeback a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, like, sometimes those words and those Oh, yeah, there's definitely places helps. for, oh, sure. yeah, it's not the fact yeah. that those things aren't real. You need those for sometimes. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That carries momentum. Absolutely. That's just, what you're talking about. Sometimes people do right. But I just don't know, yeah. especially now, being yeah. married, like, I, I'm getting the, the in-the-moment, raw response mm -hmm. feeling yeah. from, from her as to what she's feeling and struggling with and, and doing all that. And so I'm really having to learn to like I said, the, the inaction, the listening, mm -hmm. the not saying anything, the, the, mm -hmm. the not responding, just, just being there yep. uh, when my brain is so active wanting to do something so badly because mm -hmm. uh, I care about it. I want it to be happy. Exactly. Uh, you know, so really, really focusing on, on that listening has been like a good um, and awesome learning experience for me that I'm still getting down poor, yeah. <laughs> the poor girl has yeah, to be yeah, my, yeah, my yeah, teacher on it. Exactly. But I'm, like, I'm, I'm she's, practicing she's great on there. it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun. It's a fun process though, you know, um, it's one of our weaknesses, sure. you know, as men, as mm -hmm. protectors, as we have to fix this, you right. know. Um, so it's our weakness to take that humility and just step all the way back right. and yeah. not make the moment about us in any way. Right. Yeah, this is the thing, too, is like, and it's like really trying to take myself out of the situation. Because mm -hmm. if there's yeah. you know, something being said or some words being thrown around, like, I'm, I can be real quick sure. to take those personally. Like, right. no, I don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm loving and kind. That would be... Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it's just an expression in the moment. She's not even, you know, it's, it's not even about me. Yeah. Moment, so it really, whether it's, you know, with your significant other or anybody, just right. taking your removing your your ego and yourself from it right mm -hmm. that's where my does the help right it's yeah. Yeah. captured by reactivity uh -huh. yeah I, de I generally find yeah like this sometimes relationship talks right? I think it's really real yeah they orient toward um, we can talk about this now or fix this now you right. know mm -hmm. your, your brain's firing but I, I mm -hmm. do find it helps me to realize that I do believe it's like real hubris um, to to think these things without realizing that like, it just may be that the person whom you care about simply does not deal with anything like this, which is not good or bad mm -hmm. is, right. you know, and mm -hmm. like, and to, to sort of tyrannize this, this situation to say like, no, we can fix this now and do this my way. And I know what sure. we're doing mm -hmm. uh, really is. It, it's just, uh, it's a sort of blind machismo to me. Sure. Right. Like yeah. this, this just, 
this <laughs> this the thought that you know what should be happening right now. Yeah. You right. know, uh, when you don't. No. Yeah, um, it's just pure judgment. Yeah, so yeah, if I was up to that too, I'm like, yeah. I'm watching you drown in shallow yeah, water. Yeah, yeah. I know how to fix it. Uh, but then again, that's that's yeah. that's my perception. That's my yeah. And also, it could be, I could be clearly else. wrong about the nature of someone's drowning. And mm-hmm. this is this is yeah, right. Yeah. Just just be aware of your. That's it's hard to be aware of your blind spots. That's why they're blind, right? <laughs> but but it, but at least but at least yeah, at least not be uh, you know subject to the reactivity. Well, it's here's why it's difficult for me, because a form of fixing things in any relationship, friendship, anything is communication. Communication is a real powerful tool. Sure. And so it's Mm -hmm. the one time where communication on your end. Sure. It's not a powerful tool. And so that's where the struggle Mm -hmm. comes in for me, because You want to I want out. to exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just a communicative person, yeah, yeah. and it's fixed so many. You know, it yeah. prevents a, a, a little dispute from yeah. becoming an argument or a real fight. You know, yeah. it it fixes any thought that we might have created in our head. Right. You know, from turning into anything other than that, what it is, a thought. So. Yeah. It's very difficult for me, and I always still, to this day, battle with that. Yeah, I think it's tough, but it has to be remembered that communication, as, as we see it sometimes, maybe as people that want to immediately dive into things or be solution-oriented, is um, that's, a, that's a temperament, right? That's an orientation mm-hmm. we have toward communication. So just because mm-hmm. somebody doesn't want to talk about something now or the way that you want to talk about it doesn't mean that they don't want to communicate. Mm-hmm. They just want to communicate like you don't want to communicate, yes. right? Which is, once again, where the, the pride has to you know, yes. be uh, shorn here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that, you know, just because you want to talk about something an hour or in small bits over whatever amount of time, like this, this is, there's no right or wrong answer here, yeah. you know? And I don't want to get caught up in thinking I have the right answer. Because I wouldn't want this. No. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't not. want somebody to tell me how to be able to communicate. Get out the room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, uh, yeah, hey, mindfulness. You know. Um. So one thing I was curious about with you, Zach, because you said you've been on kind of this journey and started that about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So at being 31 now, Damn. starting that so young, I know we often all through our own judgments, we have like a vision and idea of what the, the consciousness meditative yeah. person sounds like. Yeah. And most often we go to the, you know, the, the really skinny, dark skinned person Flat in the robe, uh, yeah. Yeah. robe yeah. with crazy yeah. hair and a long beard. Yeah. So for yourself, like being a young, good looking, athletic, happening <laughs> guy. You can look like a troll. I can, I can attest. I can attest. <laughs> like, how did you, I guess I'm just trying to phrase, phrase the question, but how are you? Were you always able to see outside of yourself at such a young age? Because I was thinking, you know, at 22, 23, like you know, I, I was a complete idiot yeah. and, and not able to see or comprehend any of that. Like I was just all about, yeah. so all about myself and sure. so into myself. Yeah, um, that ability to even interact or react to to any sort of teaching or, or something like that, right. I think, would have been super possible for me. So, mm-hmm. did you always find yourself even from a, a, a younger age being able to? To do that, or, or I, did something? I am certainly not going to claim at twenty-two <laughs> I was divorced of the maladies of self-absorption. Um, uh, no, 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 no. Um, I, I like, I, I came onto these things very piecemeal, yeah. you know. And um, I definitely found uh, it intellectually curious. Like the topic of uh, mindfulness itself was just something that I wanted to explore because it was Mm -hmm. interest to me. So I always had like a sort of pedant streak, Mm -hmm. right? And and I enjoy reading and writing literature. So that just was something that caught me. Um, And then, yeah, but no, I was no, I don't think I was a self-aware twenty-two-year-old. I hardly think I'm a self-aware thirty-one-year-old. Because just I noticed when I. Because I started getting this probably about my, my early thirties, yeah. and I just because I felt like I run into the same wall sure. so often, sure. and it was like this isn't working. Like there's mm-hmm. got to be something sure. else yeah. to this, and then I was able to receive mm-hmm. right. that sort of stuff a little bit better. I think it's yeah. once you get your, I think it's really when you get your hooks into a practice that can really help you begin to like walk this journey. So really, it was yeah, encountering literature that I find really important. You know that really hit in some in some books and you know some papers and j- just I, I I'm thankful for the things I've encountered mm-hmm. and then once they set me on the path it was really the glimpse of I, I think what people describe as there being a there there okay. right um, of of meditative insights where yeah it was simple vipassana it was counting breaths and I feel something and it was a tingle and like 
couldn't quite get it and then I wanted it right like like capturing the ringing of a bell and it kept you kind of coming mm -hmm. and I think it was just it was that curiosity that just kept me down the path and and then it was yeah the slow insights that you gain as long as you just keep moving and mm -hmm. um, we could say forward I always like struggle with analogies as sure. far as path and end goals right because yeah. once again like the path is the goal mm -hmm. um, but yeah I remember there was just um, there was just realizations that slowly started to seep into me like I said I really like peak experiences to talk about this mm -hmm. but um, it was really moments uh, where I first uh, really experienced or began to understand an experience of this dissolution of like what you would call like the self Mm -hmm. And I really can't stress enough, this is not some like sanctimonious, egoist, prideful mm -hmm. thing about being selfless. <laughs> it's just like the, the nature of reality is it's, yeah. it's self selfless. Yeah. And it was, I don't know if we're going to talk about this. It just yeah, seems like yeah, absolutely. Because like, I think this is like, there is a state here that we can reach. And I think this is a really important insight mm -hmm. is that you begin meditating on a thing. And it could be the breath, and then we export it to sounds and bodily sensations and all the elements of the world. Um, or you're in TM, you know, and they give you a mantra, and you focus on this. It's all back to the present. But mm -hmm. eventually, you, I think it's about cultivating this mindfulness. I don't think it's about this. This is what practices say sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, like, like a Dzogchen tradition, where you cultivate this mindfulness. And then you apply it to not just sights, sounds, sensory perceptions, thoughts, and emotions. But this notion of self, and it's a very distinct notion, and it's this feeling that there is a you, and it is a real you. It's a permanent you that sits behind your eyes, mm -hmm. this writer, mm -hmm. this thinker of thoughts, right? person. and this hearer of sounds, yes. right? And this is all here, and we're all here, and we're all captured, and this is just an experience that we have, that we, that we are seated at this locus of attention, right? Mm -hmm. Looking out, and even the fact that there is a thinker independent from thoughts mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. thoughts and i hear sounds and there, mm -hmm. there's this moment when you turn it back for just a moment and you look for the looker right mm -hmm. right and this is like oh like house builder you build a house and those like you build no more houses right like you look back and you see that there's nothing there there's nothing apart from the thinker there is no thinker of thoughts there's right. simply thoughts Right there's there's no rider in this body. There's mm -hmm. no one floating around here. Like yeah, where the, are you? The, if you had, the observer is still just an appearance. Of right, everything yeah. is yeah. right, and, and and that like really getting to gradually glimpse that. Mm -hmm. Right, I got I, I mostly got here, or at least I remember the first time I really felt this was a. I, I can't recommend this book enough. It's by Douglas Harding uh, on having no head, and I think it was somewhere in the Himalayas, and uh, he was on this beautiful peak, and you know he looked out at this incredible expanse, and he realized that he had no head. Mm -hmm. And it's an entire exploration about this concept, about this headless concept, right? That he couldn't see his head. And any notion we have of head, right, is, mm -hmm. is a notion, right? It's an appearance. And that, that tradition, um, I think, still carried out by his, uh, his student, Richard Lang. But it was this headlessness awareness, right, that I become the world and the world me, uh, that really, yeah, cemented this practice uh, to something that was definitely more than counting breaths. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't mean that to be, you know, sanctimonious or reductive. I just mean that, like, obviously, you know, we're here for more than I would call it, you know, some form of spiritual self-help. Mm -hmm. Right. Because uh, so one of the uh, meditation apps I use sometimes is called uh, Waking Up by Sam Harris. Yeah. He quotes a lot of the same. The, the, oh, the Richard same Lang? Uh, yeah, with the headlessness. And so he has a couple of meditations on meditating as a headless person. It took me a while to grasp it and really mm -hmm. get it, but then, like I said, once, once I did, it's like, oh, yeah. okay, I yeah. Yeah, D. Harding's on mm -hmm. having no head is a, it's a, it's this, oh, I'm, I'm podcast, this is in podcast you use visuals. <laughs> um, it's, it's a very small book. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just think it's it's a great, uh, it, it is a, if you're having difficulty with the concept mm -hmm. of like no self, I think it's a great place to go because what, uh, um, what D. Harding does is look at he it's a set of simple empirical experiments from the first person that you can really go through and i think that like mm -hmm. sometimes they really help because they're it's difficult mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I i can't say this with plain enough in language like it's hard yeah um but it helps yeah uh having no head on having no head yeah right yeah i've always called that person the narrator man the sure. narrator of me and it's it's crazy because i 
did not again. I didn't. I thought I was the only one yeah. that had that person right. that that, sure. that thought that constant nonstop thought who talks to me for me. You know yeah. who sees it. Yeah. And then turning attention on itself and looking back at that is like, okay, I'm feeling like that's coming from my head, but mm-hmm. that's not true that itself is just another appearance mm-hmm. in consciousness right yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah and i mean yeah and once you there's something about that i think there's just something about this this you know shift from you know black and white to color where like this the world comes into view you know and uh there's just this notion of personal identity that starts getting weaker because i don't want to talk about like a liberation you know you can glimpse that and you come right mm-hmm. back in i get mad at everything you know what i mean i get bad at bags of chips if they don't open right like mm-hmm. it just so it's just always there yeah but it, but it can be i think it I, I think there can be a gradual process right where you see more and more that this attempt um to hold on to a fixed identity of self is you know it's illusory and it truthfully is and it can it can free you from unnecessary suffering mm-hmm. it really can you know and this need Move back to jealousy, right? Mm-hmm. To shore yourself up as this thing, right? That can't yeah. be hurt because you've built it uh, instead of realizing that there's nothing to be hurt. Mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. a big shift and uh, a, a way to avoid a lot of needless suffering in this world. That is beautiful, brother. Thank that you. Is, thank you so that much. is absolutely. I, I can't think of a better way to, uh, to end it right there. I don't think we can do better than that. <laughs> no. no, that was perfect. We're right on an hour. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, as you can tell, Zach's got a lot of info, so we will definitely be having him back on. Yeah, for sure. As, as it a regular correspondent. It was such a pleasure having you on. Hey, I, I really appreciate, I appreciate it. Hey, I love, yeah. I, I, you know, these are topics near and dear to my heart, and um, I, I, I can't be more thankful to even be able to speak about these things. Right. I, I, one of the first Buddhist nuns said, uh, if... Uh, what do you say? I'm, I'm going to ruin a quote real quick at the end of this podcast. <laughs> what um, uh, if he chose noble friends, even a fool would become wise. And uh, it's just it's just to be able to just connect people. And this is just uh, such a privilege. So I appreciate it. And Absolutely. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you. much. All right, everybody. That's it for, uh, for today. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or whatever, please feel free to email, email us. Present tense podcast am at gmail.com. And we will see you in the next one. See you guys.